Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, where we take a journey within to uncover the inner resources deep within our soul to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is through this higher sense of knowing we are able to design and live our lives with purpose, compassion, and for the collective consciousness. Are you ready to start your own inner revolution? Come with me. Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Renee, and welcome back, as I always say, for another amazing week. And I just want to go ahead and say thank you to all of you who continue to follow our show and have subscribed to the Inner Revolution and provided comments and feedback. We couldn't do this show without you. If you have yet to follow, what are you waiting for? You have that phone right in your hand right now. Go ahead to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Look up the Inner Revolution with Dr. Renee and go ahead and follow us. Also provide us a review. We would so greatly appreciate your feedback. We are now in so many countries around the world with such a global presence. And it feels so amazing to know that when I set out three seasons ago, we're in the midst of of season three, that the mission of the inner revolution would reach so many souls. And as you all know, it is about a quiet revolution deep within ourselves to align our mind, body, and spirit. So during this pandemic, I have a mission to continue to provide high quality guests who can speak about that mind, body, spirit alignment, allow you some comfort and peace of mind in your own life to continue your own gentle inner revolution and change the things that you really are desiring to change to live the quality life that you truly wish for. And our guest today is going to be absolutely amazing and guiding us into a very unique perspective that you've heard me talk a little bit about, but not from this perspective. And so who am I talking about? I'm talking about Dr. Ohud L. Harby, and she is a nutrigenomic, I can say that word, expert and the owner of Personalize My Diet an online nutrition clinic focused on nutrition consultations tailored to each person's DNA. Dr. Ohud completed her PhD in 2018 from the University of Toronto, and she was awarded her master's in food and nutritional sciences from the University of Western Ontario. She completed her undergraduate degree in medical technology and specialized in microbiology and molecular biology. She is absolutely a brain right here in this inner revolution and just so full of knowledge and information. But what I love the most about this beautiful soul is her understanding of the spirit and the connection of our spirituality into understanding how our mind and our body work as well. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of things with her today, but her business, Personalize My Diet, was actually featured in Startup Here Toronto, and she strives to disseminate evidence-based nutrition information through speaking, writing, and as a reviewer for multiple scientific journals. So let's go ahead and get her on to the show. Dr. Ohud, are you there? Yes. Hi. How are you, Dr. Renee? Oh, I'm fantastic. And I realize I think I, mi- I mispronounced. It's nutri- nutrigenomics. Is that correct? 
you pronounced it perfectly right. Okay. From okay, it's, go. It's such a tongue twister. I was like, I never even heard that word before I met you. And when I was doing the research before the show, found it so fascinating. I was like, oh my God, how did I not know this, this area of science existed? But anyway, welcome to the inner revolution. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me today, too. And I'm so excited about having you here. And I know we've had some time to chat away from the show and get to know one another. And I love the work that you're doing. And I know we have a mutual friend and you have been such a guiding force in her life as well and helping her in her nutrition and overall fitness journey and all those kinds of things. So you are definitely um, doing some great work out there. But for our listeners who might not be familiar with this area, could you talk a little bit more about what you do? Indeed. Thank you. Um, and it is a pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Renee, and to talk to your um, listeners and um, to introduce nutrigenomics. As you mentioned, um, it's a tricky, it's a pretty much nutrition and genetics, nutritional genomics. And it has two sides of the coins. One of the sides say um, we are studying how genetic influence um, the body response to nutrients, um, to food as whole, or even behavioral change, like our, how we crave food. On the other side, how nutrients, how food can affect our genetics. Mm. So this is how the full picture of nutrigenomics, and also um, just to be more scientifically correct, um, it is nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics, but in, in general, in our all around the world. It's more combined together as nutrigenomics to the public, for the public. Yeah, and that's fascinating. So you, you mentioned that it's like they both can impact and influence one another. And I think that many people, when we are talking about health and well-being, we often get very unidimensional that it's the food as a source that provides us the nutrients and, you know, creates the energy and gives us the, the motivation. And therefore, there's an outcome. But in actuality, we can look deep within our genetics as well and see that, you know, if we're not in tune with that, no matter what we sort of bring into our body, might actually not be serving at its best. And I know that's happening to me right now. I've been struggling a lot with um, some things in relation to nutrition and, you know, my stress levels have been a little higher as well. And I'm noticing a lot of shifts, but, you know, my doctors assure me there's really nothing going on in there, you know, from a physical perspective. So it can be really frustrating. I can imagine for a lot of our followers, as well as people you work with, to really get down to the heart of what is it that they need to pay attention to the most. So with your clients, um, do you often see that, you know, each aspect has to be individualized? And for some people, it might be more of the genetic component and other people, it might be more of the micronutrient component. Indeed. Well, in fact, actually, as you say, it's it's all intertwined together. Um, and when I look with my clients, I always love to see their expression after they see the results, because there's always an a uh, moment, you know, it's like, oh my God, that's why this is going on. Or yes. um, for example, when I was talking with a personal trainer and I worked coll collaboratively with some other professional, and then when we were discussing the results, even then they were looking at the behavior and they go like, 
that's why they reacted that way. That's why it's so hard to make that behavioral changes. Um, it's as we maybe you and I talked about it before. Um, Genetics is not there to make us judge each other, but it's more for us to help us understand ourselves and how we tune to our body needs. Mm, absolutely. And is there, I mean, of course, there's probably several, but for, for women today, I'm thinking in general, because I am a woman who is now in the throes of perimenopause, yay, and it can be, um, it, you know, it is quite spiritual. I've tried to really lean into that side of it to not get so fixated in what I couldn't change, um, you know, and begin to ride the wave of transition and, and find more of a beauty in the shift. But I'll tell you that it, that, that beautiful transition didn't come without some ugly, <laughs> you know, pain and frustration and wondering what was happening to me metabolically and hormonally and physically. There were all these things that were happening. Um, anxiety levels were raising. Sleep was decreasing. Um, you know, I'd even say like muscular tension was increasing and all these things I was reading. And it got really frustrating, but I realized that there was probably a greater story to be told and started to look into some things on my own to try to reduce all of that. So do you find that for women um, that this is something that they are very accepting of when you start working with them or do they have a bit of resistance in the beginning? That's a very interesting question. Thank you. Um, I think that the majority that I came across, they were very um, um, welcoming to it. Like they, they really tuned to the results very well. Um, and they all uh, found some answers for their question. Um, and regarding to the emotion part, which is, um, that's an interesting thought because I had um, uh, a recent talk about it, which is like emotional eating, uh, emotional yeah. change. Changes, right? And that will bring me to one of your expertise and we can ch chat about it a little bit right now, which is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the beginning, when they tried to define mindfulness in eating without including the genetics, it was only as paying attention to our food in purpose, moment by moment, without judgment. But then um, when they looked at uh, studies later on, besides, as you mentioned, metabolic uh, changes, hormonal changes, um, they found that the effect from the outside uh, influence the genetics, affect how we respond to the genetics. And that's what is epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So our spirituality, our emotion, uh, not emotion, our spirituality, our environment, the environmental stimuli that influence the emotion can affect the genetic expression. Um, and uh, here, that's where the beauty of nutrigenomics, um, even though it is tailored to diet as the majority would assume as a nutrition but also its influence behavioral changes and it will um, give us a guide and how to be easy with ourselves um, how to understand if the gene is at high risk to um, the environmental stimuli or is it at lower risk so if i'm gonna put this as an example, there is um, a genetic factor um, that was influencing eating behavior. And what they found is they found that 
kids or teenagers who had uh, parental control while they were growing up that emphasized or increased the risk of expression of that gene that will put them at higher risk for eating behavior later on mm. in life. Wow. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think this has been the most fascinating part for me. As you know, I was diagnosed with melanoma cancer years ago. And this was when I really started to study epigenetics and really wanted to, just for my own self-knowledge, right? No intention, no purpose to do anything with anyone outside in the world. But yeah. You know, and Joe Dispenza was just sort of, he's been around for a very long time, but really was coming onto the scene and, you know, really waking us up to the power that is within each of us to integrate our inner world with our outer world without waiting for biological evolution to take that lead. And that was so inspiring to me that we did not have to sit around helplessly thinking, well, just because I was born to parents who've had these medical conditions, therefore I'm at a higher risk for this, or thinking about women who have the, the gene for breast cancer or ovarian cancer or different things. Yes, these are certainly monumental moments to pay attention to and to not ignore. But at the same time, we don't have to accept that this is our reality. And for me, I said to myself, okay, I don't have to perish as my father did from cancer. Um, I can live a different story. I can rewrite the narrative of what cancer is to me and how I'm going to delicately, this is why I started the inner revolution. I don't think everything has to be a battle um, in our lives or right through food or lifestyle, but can be a gentle change um, mm -hmm. and really shift that. So I love that you're bringing this up. And I'm wondering, you know, as we think about our younger generation, what are some things that, you know, you're beginning to see or maybe recommend for parents or even those, you know, we have a, a teen population that listens to the show as well, that they should be really thinking about to begin this work? Because I guess this would be my impression that those are really the critical times in all of this. Indeed, indeed, especially during the COVID time, during the isolation, during increasing the stress. Um, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of parents right now, they um, have um, a heavy weight on them and how to deal with with this situation um, and not to make it affect children. Um, definitely, and you are expert in this, meditation is one of the greatest tools that we can use to enhance um, our uh, behavioral changes or to decrease stress. Now, a study in 2013, specifically 8th of December, which is like my birthday, um, mm -hmm. found that gene expression changes with the meditation. Yes. So, exactly. What well, mindfulness? And the interesting part is that we, as a practitioner, and that's something I start to apply and to be more easy, and even for parents. So we may have two kids. One of them is more positive, and the other one is more negative, right? Um, and they should not compare them to each other because even mindfulness, um, there is another term for it called dispositional mindfulness, and that one is inherited. So 35% of mindfulness is inherited, and the people who have don't have that gene 
variants. And just to clarify for the audience, when we say gene variants, that's mean a change in the genetic coding. So if the people, the uh, people who don't have the changes in the genetic code that enhance mindfulness are actually higher at higher risk of eating pathology or, or eating disorders, eat it, disordered eating or higher stress. And this is very important for parents to be very uh, patient with their child, the children, and to be very individualized in how they approach things with them, how to change their behavior, how to impose mindfulness doing. Um, I always recommend my clients to go in a walk. So not everyone would like to do yoga. So perhaps go in a silent walk. Like, in, And when you go, try to enjoy the nature. So now during the COVID, maybe we can't go far, but we can do some activity without increasing risk to others. So mindful, uh, mindful walking it's very recommended and I saw huge benefits for it among my clients. Mm, mindful walking and just getting out and moving our bodies is so important. I do it with my children all the time and they have been, you know, I would say it's been a blessing to me to have, to have been able to share this gift with them since they were very, very little but whether, as I talked about in my latest podcast, my dear friend, um, our children don't always jump on the bandwagon with us. And we have to be, like you said, patient and accepting and non-judgmental because they're not going to all agree or want to do all these things at all the time. But um, I love that you bring that up about, you know, simple things we can do when we're walking and meditation doesn't have to look like the yogis, right? It doesn't Indeed. have to look like that, right? It, it, I love Qigong. I love movement meditation. Um, it's been a, a blessing to me since I was diagnosed with cancer. And I think, um, you know, it's a gift to many. So, yeah. so I love that we're talking about this, this aspect of epigenetics and reversing our, um, our coding, right? And not having to live out the stories or the the path of our our ancestors and being able to change that but so in addition to mindfulness you have you come across any other type of techniques strategies things that people can implement into their day-to-day -to, -day to begin this reversing of these patterns um, to be honest when it comes to behavioral changes it's all about um, in the moment. So mindfulness, I would say it's the most common strategies. I would use it, but I would use it in a different way. So uh, it doesn't have to be yoga. Some, it doesn't have to be walk. Sometimes just take a moment and let things go clear your head. It's, it's all about being present in the moment. Now, when it, we come to food, actually, there are some food that's been shown to enhance um, happiness, like for example, strawberry, but this is all association studies. So there hasn't been um, any, uh, a diet regime that I would say it's science-based, uh, science-based to enhance mood. Um, mm. There are foods, however, that um, being at higher risk of um, uh, disordered eating and uh, it may cause effect in the body similar to um, cocaine, um, alcohol, and that's fast food. So definitely I tell people stay away to, from fast food and go to healthy, more to nature. And here um, I'm going to add in one uh, uh, element that it's not 
maybe related to genetics somehow, which is the microbiome. So everything we eat is digested by the bacteria we have in the body. And um, the gut bacteria is um, affected by mood and mood is affected by the gut bacteria as well, which is um, the gut brain axis. So if you are not selecting food for purpose, food that um, serve the body, um, you are making disequilibrium in the body and the relationship between your gut bacteria, the cell, and that influence hormones, emotion that by affecting the brain. Yes. So absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up about you know, the bacteria, because this has come up a lot in the COVID-19 um, situation. And whether people, I know there's a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories going on, and no matter where you sit on the plane of what's happening politically, or mm-hmm. just looking scientifically, that some doctors have come forward with huge concerns that they understand and totally, you know, accept that this is an important aspect that we do need to be social distancing and being very careful with the immunosuppressed individuals and things like that, but that we may be creating more injury to ourselves longer term down the road by being in such sterile conditions right now, you know, literally washing everything from our hands and our houses and, you know, everything in that way. And some doctors were saying what you just said about the importance of you know, our flora levels, I think I'm saying that right, and um, bacteria and, um, you know, those kinds of things. And what might we see, you know, as we start to come out again, um, in safe ways, you know, might people have some additional health problems because of that? What do you think about that in relation to, you know, just even digestive things and things of that nature? Do you think this isolation is, is maybe impacting some of that? What a great thought, Dr. Renee. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I agree with everything. I love research. I'm like you. I'm, I love to read research. So it's yeah. like, oh, it gets me excited, right? <laughs> and that's what we strive on. Um, it's definitely what you say, totally correct, totally true. And now I'm pretty sure you know about the hygiene theory. Hygiene theory is one of the theories that many scientists try to use to explain irritable bowel diseases, such as yes. like Crohn's disease, yeah, also ulceritis as well as like irritable bowel syndrome uh, me myself the other day I felt like my hands were never been this dry ever before because I'm washing it too much and I'm wondering how many cells are we losing right now or are we affecting bad uh, what about the, my uh, the flora so um the, the the type the bacteria that we have on skin um, external or internal inside our cells are there for a purpose and being too clean, um, it's not as good um, as maybe we are trying to impose health benefit, but I think there are many health conditions that we're gonna face by the end of this pandemic that totally different than the COVID. So the COVID itself, it's, a, it's just a, a factor that can be treated treated perhaps by targeting the symptoms or by some measures, but then taking these measures to the extreme, in my opinion, and that's just reflect my personal opinion, um, I believe we are at the extreme measure right now that may impose risks um, for later on. Yes, and I'm concerned too, because I've noticed a shift in my own self. And 
having had tumors in my kidney, you know, I'm very much in touch with my urologist and I literally just went in for testing because I was starting to have some symptoms again and everything came back fine in relation to the renal cultures and all those kinds of things. And so they said, you know, we think this might just be digestive, you know, everything gets inflamed in there. It's going to impact, you know, everything um, else connected. Right. And so they said, how are your stress levels? And I said, well, I thought I was doing okay, but honestly, you know, some things at work are happening and things like that. I'm probably suppressing and thinking about, Um, I'm really getting tired of being indoors. I'll tell you that much. I'm a very social person and I miss human contact and you know, the weather hasn't been great. I know Toronto and Ohio, we have like the same weather, so it really hasn't been fantastic, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's not been warm. We haven't had a huge amount to get outside yet. So I think from a mineral perspective, everything's been changing for me and I've noticed, you know, a lot of stuff. And then of course, because of my previous health condition, when I am symptomatic, I start to worry about past, you know, conditions, which then exacerbates stress, right? So it's so funny that everyone's like, you know, yes, Dr. Renee does have stress. Yes, Dr. Renee, you know, (laughs) suffers from temporary anxiety and, you know, things like that. Of course we all do. These are really different times right now that none of us have ever lived through. And it's so, you know, um, worrisome because I think to myself, okay, there's so many things we can shift, but you know, I'm, I'm washing my hands so many times a day, disinfecting everything. I'm depleting everything that's going to create my ability to fight off things when I do return back into environments. And not that I would get COVID-19 in that situation, but might I become, you know, resistant to certain things or my own body maybe become hyperactive or hypervigilant in responding um, to things. So I don't think people think enough about that right now, but we'll see how that sort of pans out down the road. Um, Indeed. And you know what, Dr. Renee, like to add to your thought um, in in terms of like going outside, um, one of the uh, main things that we are missing in our daily life is vitamin D. Vitamin D, 95% is from the sun and um, the rest is from food. And I know that although health professionals, public health policies imposed, especially in North America, um, recommend having vitamin D supplements, not everyone is good in taking their supplements. Neither am I. Uh, yeah, like, I'm very I. bad. <laughs> exactly. No. So, and um, studies showed that, uh, for example, Spanish flu was better treated outside. So those who were treated in the tent under the sun, they recovered faster. Um, other uh, condition also, Blake, for example, when they looked at the uh, bones of a dead body, they found, um, and they found that there is a signs of vitamin D deficiency. So we know that vitamin D is very crucial in every genetics aspect in the cells almost like it, it is very well um, studied and confirmed right now. So now by depleting the sun, depleting sources of vitamin D, I'm not sure how far the sequences are going to be by the end of this. So beside, like, as you mentioned, the stress, now we also affecting nutrients. Um, and nutrient absorption, like vitamin D, is influenced by genetics. So if you are not getting enough and your genetics actually in um, not 
as good in absorbing vitamin D, then you are multiplying the risk of being vitamin D deficient. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, so I know you said sunlight and things like that, but what are some healthy sources um, for vitamin D outside of, you know, let's say dairy? Because <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I have a vegan family. And so that's yeah. one thing, you know, we did struggle a lot in trying to figure out um, in which ways to approach certain things. But with our ethical, you know, beliefs about animal products, it, it's, it's getting better. I have to say the market's much, much better today than I'm sure it was 20 years ago. But any recommendations on that? Indeed, like as you mentioned, nowadays I feel there are more options for vegans to uh, obtain vitamin D. Like before, um, it was only dairy fortified with vitamin D. Right now, uh, dairy alternatives like uh, soy beverages, almond beverages, coconut beverages, all of them are fortified. That's also, so that's good source. And then the other source uh, would be um, if, if someone who is fine to eat fish, um, fish is very high, like it's the highest source of vitamin D, especially dark meat fish. But if they are, because I, I understand that there are some different type of bacon. Um, right. So, like right? pescatarian, they do eat fish um, exactly. as their only source. And I do too. I yeah. think, you know, having had the condition that I have um, or had, excuse me, um, that was recommended to me, even from my doctors that, okay, we support your not wanting to eat certain types of meat, but really, if you could once in a while, <laughs> try yes. to incorporate this, you know, you'll see that your, your body will actually crave it. And it does. When mm -hmm. I get to that point in my mineral depletion, like I, I realize I'm like, oh, I, I, I actually want that right now. And it'll be like maybe once a month or so, but um, kind of comes into my diet. So yeah, yeah. and I, I think we're big almond milk family. Um, the kids love it. And that's been a great source for us as well. And there's such great vegan cheeses out there now. I'm surprised. I, I was like, oh God, I'm not going to like this. And the minute that I, I took a bite of it, I was like, oh, this is actually really good. So, that's great. Yeah, there's great sources out there today for sure. Yeah. Mushroom on the other side, like it has vitamin D, but it's mainly if it's treated with ultraviolet lights, not all of them have the same amount and it's not a rich okay. source of vitamin D. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, vitamin D is uh, one of the nutrients that it's um, hardly found in uh, food and it's mainly obtained from the sun. Got it. Got it. So, so let's talk about what individuals, because I know there's many listening who are going to be very interested in working with you, what would individuals expect as they would come to you? Um, talk us through a little bit about what they would um, sort of see and experience in, you know, getting to know you and, and beginning to work with you. What would that sort of look like? It is, um, thank you so much for this question, but it is always about them and not about me. So it is always about to know what are you like, and what I mean, what are you, it does not define you, but it's more define the vessel that we have. Um, so, and this body we have, people would think genetics, it's mean like a mix between my mom and dad, it couldn't be not right. So you, you can be influenced by your third grandma. And um, also whatever your mom and dad got exposed to, that's also translated in the genetic and that's the genetics changes during the pregnancy and during the because of the mom and the dad diet so what they were going to get 
from the consultation, basically, it's to understand how their body um, absorb nutrients. And one of the nutrients that we look at, um, some of them vitamin D, calcium, folate. Folate is very important for DNA methylation, a process where the change in the genetics, it's called DNA methylation. Um, also, um, caffeine, they can get um, information about um, heart disease, diabetes, um, risk of blood pressure. So um, I, I'll bring a caffeine because I'm a coffeeholic, like a lot of people. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that perhaps you too, because we read a lot. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Can you believe this? This is like, I know I was on a podcast called uh, Tea with Mike. He's out of Canada as well. And it was a fun moment because he and neither he or I had ever drank coffee in our lives. Now I do love chai. And after my trips to India, I am now probably addicted. (laughs) So definitely chai and I get caffeine and other sources, but you know, we definitely don't drink soda in this family or anything like that. But um, yeah, I can see, you know, so many people have that, that need for caffeine, but caffeine caffeine can be really helpful in some ways too, right? With brain development and things of that, that capacity. Well, um, thank you for your question. And it's great that you mentioned tea. So because caffeine is not only from coffee, it's from tea too. And it's actually it could be higher in some um, type of tea than coffee. Yes. And that's what we look at exactly in the genetics, how the genetic metabolize caffeine. And it's not actually good for everyone. Um, some people, they don't clear the caffeine out of the body. And one of the main effects of caffeine, it's increased heart rate, blood pressure. So imagine if that effect persisted um, on the long run, there could be a higher risk of heart diseases. Mm. Um, so Makes that's sense. one of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that one of the side effect of caffeine. But again, um, we don't in my in my diets i never i'm not a pro dieting i'm not a pro toward a certain type of a diet i'm more pro eat everything you can eat but in moderation and whatever serve the body always think about whatever serve the body and by knowing how your body respond to each food or element you can choose better what is the best for the body um so for example salt resistant or salt sensitive i'm not sure if you've heard of this term before um, mm-hmm. we look at how the body metabolizes sodium and whether are someone is a salt resistant or salt sensitive and based on that we would recommend um their sodium intake for example um other things that i'm get i got myself fascinated with i have never been uh, an athlete I would say I I haven't been ever like a a competitive athlete maybe I worked out regularly between 2013 to 2018 and um, that was mainly um, to adapt to stress so people as we've talked earlier we were talking about meditation and walking working out that was my way of meditating Mm -hmm. and and releasing the stress and running. And once I start eating according to my gene, I started to see a huge shift in my body composition and my physique. Um, even though I wasn't competing, um, I wasn't following a certain type of diet. I've never measured my food. I, I was eating exactly like what I would eat, but then I start to increase, for example, protein. Um, since my body responds to protein better than fat. And I start to get the fat from other sources, healthy sources, um, and avoided the saturated fat because apparently it turned to be bad for me. 
and only these minor changes showed a huge difference. At the same time, I had someone, I was living with someone who actually um, not sensitive to saturated fat and was slim all the time. And then while they were cooking the lunch for a while, they start cooking using coconut oil. And I'm not a friend with coconut oil only because of this story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in two weeks, my clothes start to get tighter. And I start to wonder, well, I use olive oil. Like, why am I gaining weight? And uh, my roommate knew that I don't eat coconut oil, but was you cooking our food using coconut oil? And then when I asked, apparently it was the coconut oil. Because once I took it out, once I asked like not to include coconut in the daily diet, everything went back to normal. Wow. And yeah. So it's only minor changes sometimes in diet that make a huge difference. People would be afraid from talking to a nutritionist. First, before maybe because they think it's judgmental and that's the beauty of nutrigenomics. We're not judgmental. We're just trying to help you to understand how your body reacts to food. And the second thing, sometimes it's only one small minor change that can change your whole outcome. Oh, I love that. And you know, I think you would love my mother and she, she growing up, it was so incredible. And I was thinking about what we were talking about when we were mentioning about starting really young and, you know, gaining Mm. healthy habits and, and not creating a restrictive environment. Cause some people would say, Oh, in a vegan environment, you're probably so restrictive. No, I mean, there's, there's so many options. There's so many things. And, you know, we still eat desserts. We still, you know, do all these kinds of things. But I grew up in a family that was a very culturally bound to food as many of us are. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were a few issues with heart disease and diabetes on my mother's side, but we were never, you know, body shamed. We never heard the word diet growing up. Um, we never, ever really got fixated on our bodies. I was always, even though I was very tall and skinny, but I was always very comfortable in myself because there wasn't this ancestral sort of thing happening around me to be fixated upon my body. And my mom always stressed, whatever your body talks to you about, that's what you need to give it. It doesn't talk to you for no reason. And I was like, but mom, I'm craving salt right now. You know, we're not supposed to eat chips, you know, and we learned this in health class. We're not supposed to eat salt. She said, yes, you are supposed to eat salt, but maybe in a different way, you know? And I was like, oh. And so, you know, I always grew up being able to just dabble here and dabble dabble there and dabble here. And I've never struggled with my weight, even though some women in my, my family certainly did. But I think that my mom was breaking that generational curse there. Um, and so, you know, I, I really try that with my children too. I try not to get crazy about things or, oh my God, they want popsicles. So what? They want a popsicle. Okay. You know, are there better than popsicles and others, of course, but you know, we don't have to get so fixated because like you said, there are so many things. It might just be that one little thing and it's sugar for me. Sugar is my um, enemy. <laughs> you must salt have is the not. sweet tooth. <laughs> yeah, salt is not. Salt doesn't really, I don't really crave a lot of salt, but I certainly don't use a lot either. Um, and I've always had low blood pressure and things of that nature, but sugar 
oh my goodness. And I will tell you, I've tried to totally remove sugar out of my diet at once. I don't know why I tried to do that completely. And I became like this monster. I didn't even recognize my son when, <laughs> when Lent came this year for us Catholics in the world. And I, he said, what are you giving up, mommy? I said, I'm giving up sugar. He started getting really upset. He said, no, no. And I said, why, honey? He said, you were a monster when you tried that a couple years ago. No. Oh and he begged me not to give up sugar. So I laugh and say this story hysterically because like you said, not giving, just because other people are doing it doesn't mean it's for you. And I love that your program really individualizes and gets to the basis of the gene and the, the blueprint, the genetic blueprint of us all, which is all very, very different. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, do you have any like really great success stories or, you know, one you didn't think was going to work out, but did because you found this one thing? Yeah, indeed. So um, interesting enough, our genetic doesn't really define us and will emphasize the idea of like our behavior, our, cho our choices are the one that um, define the outcome of the genetic. So yes. I was in a trip in Alaska and I had um, a group of athletes and uh, coaches who actually did the genetic testing. And interesting enough, um, we found, um, I think I didn't mention that. So this is part of the genetic test. We look at the body response to physical activity, endurance, head and interval, um, even bone health, joint health, and we mm -hmm. look at multiple genetics together. All of them, they had one of the gene variants, which is called ACTN3. Uh, this one actually found to be uh, enhancing the power strength. Uh, it is actually also uh, increase um, the body response in, in physical activity um, and even in athletes um, where uh, in China, I believe, or Japan, they are thinking of using it to select their Olympic players. Okay. So yes, and Interestingly, one of the coaches who won golden medals didn't have that gene variant when everyone else did. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So, yeah. See, so it is definitely a factor that makes some people become like uh, a certain path or maybe that, that's why they are excelling and they were distance runner. They were excelling in distance running. But that didn't mean that someone else who don't have this gene variant, it cannot do this. Right. I was so happy to see this, although the coach, he wasn't really happy. <laughs> um, although I told him, you know, you won many medals. Congratulations. You defeated your genetics. But um, that's that's one of the uh, success stories that I like to share with everyone. Um, the other one is also for a, a lady who is who's trying to lose weight. And I was working with her personal trainer and she was very struggling in um, going to her session very struggling to, to do physical act, like to, to keep up with her schedule. And we found that in her genetic, she actually have gene variants that doesn't make her stick to her um, routine uh, physical activity schedule. She doesn't get really happy about it. Um, another interesting story is uh, for a friend of mine who is a model and her mom and uh, when I did the genetic testing for the moms, apparently she had also the same gene variant that enhance um, exercise behavior. Like she was happy to go to work out every day in the morning. 
her daughter, who was a model, she didn't like that. She was mm. struggling to get out of the body of the bed. The girl, she didn't have the gene. Her mom did have the gene that enhanced genetic, uh, enhanced physical activity or um, the behavioral changes to uh, implement physical activity routine in her daily life. So knowing these things, the, the model later on, now she works out every day, 6 a.m. She doesn't feel bad before. She used to feel bad that her mom go work out and she cannot. It just made her understand herself and use behavioral changes that works better. So I was suggesting that maybe you try to sleep early and that will help you to wake up early faster. Maybe try to avoid having caffeine at night if you are not a person who is would be happy to wake up in the morning to go for a workout because of her schedule imposing that on her. Um, yeah, so it is definitely helps people more, I feel emotionally how they feel about themselves to make changes in their diet or in like physical activity daily routine. Mm, fantastic. Those are some great stories. And I think many of our listeners can probably find a piece of themselves in each of those things that you're sort of talking about. And, and I think it is important that everyone who's listening, who knows these things, right? Because many of us have been doing research on what's the best physical activity program for us? What are the best things for us to eat? And we find ourselves going from one program to another, to another, to another, but this is a lifestyle choice now. And um, I love that you bring this up and I hope that the listeners, and I'm sure they will, will definitely check into your programs and get in touch with you. So I know we're getting to the end of the show and I always say every show, I love this point because um, we really get to find out how to reach out to you and people get to be excited about taking next steps with you. But, but I also hate saying goodbye. So can you let our listeners know how they can reach you? Indeed. And, and it's a goodbye always like the hardest word to say. It was it a pleasure to talk to you like always. Oh. I can be found at um, www.gene.diet or they can find me on Instagram, Dr. Underscore Ahud10. Also, they are more than welcome to email me directly. My first name at gene as genetic, G-E-N-E dot diet. Oh, fantastic. And I'll put all this contact information on the radio page. And if you are following us on Facebook, you can go ahead and comment as well at the bottom of the radio page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash in a revolution. Please let us uh, leave us a comment and let us know what inspired you the most during this episode. So my friend, the last question I ask of every guest is called footprint in the sand. And it talks about the type of legacy or impact that you're hoping to leave on the world. So looking back in several decades in our older years, what is it that you really hope to have left for the future generations from the work that you're doing? I One of the main reasons why I did my PhD is when I was younger growing up, I was thinking um, that when you die, you want to die and you want people to remember you, you're doing something good. Um, and to do also to want people to say, oh, this person helped me even if I'm not around. Um, so one of the things that I would love to leave with people is not to be judgmental of themselves, not to be judgmental with anybody else. We are all unique. We are all special from 
the deep of our genetic until like to each cell of us. Um, and I just want to share um, one of the things that maybe inspires teenage a lot these days. And, and they are really dear to me because it's a growing period and we all have to be special in treating them. Um, growing up, um, I was totally different. I looked different than my really parents. I don't look really look like my mom, uh, my dad, not physical, not facial even. And I was, I wasn't heavy, but I was like more even heavier than my sister. And that hurt me a little bit, made me feel I'm not belonging to the crowd. I called myself black dog many times. Mm -hmm. Now, growing up and after I learned about genetics and after I started even dealing with my genetics in a, in a way, as I mentioned, when I followed the diet and I got that physique that I've never dreamt that I would have even when I was 14 years old, it really made me think if I knew that when I was a teenage, I would have not ever felt bad. So yeah. I hope no one um, ever feel bad about um, how they look, how, how they behave and more strive to understand themselves and um, get the best out of it each day. We all are growing. We all are getting different every day. So it's, it's, it's part of the evolution. Amen. Oh, and thank you so much for being here with us in the inner revolution. It has been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure is mine, Dr. Renee, always. Oh, and I'm sure we'll be talking so much more after this episode. You're not getting rid of me. So we will definitely <laughs> be chatting and hopefully we can collaborate on some things here in the future because you're doing some great work and making such an impact on lives. So again, thank you so much. Thank you very much to you two as well. And I, uh, I really appreciate inviting me and letting me um, help some as I hope um, in any way. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone for the inner revolution, I am your host, Dr. Renee. Thank you again for tuning in this week. Please make sure that you do reach out and check out Dr. Ohud's um, information, her website, her social media platforms, and everything of that nature, because I think you're going to find an amazing opportunity waiting for you to change your life. So we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to The Inner Revolution with Dr. Renee. Tune in again next week for another fabulous episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at dr.renee.moudre, or you can check out my website at www.transcendentheart.com. Talk to you again soon.